From Argus Media, this is Driving Discussions, a podcast series discussing the forces that affect road fuels globally. I'm Jason Metko, spot ticker reporter here at Argus, and our guest today is Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil, Stephen Jones. On this episode, we will discuss the continuing rise of crude, why the cost for consumer gasoline is still rising when normally it drops this time of year, and how the COVID-19 pandemic and the energy transition are impacting the markets. So, Stephen, welcome to the presentation. Let's dive right in it with crude. And as of mid-October, West Texas Intermediate's around $80 a barrel. What, in your estimation, is leading to that? That's a good question, Jason. You know, the current high prices that we're seeing, no, I wouldn't expect it to go down promptly. Um, you know, as this podcast and people listen in, uh, obviously, I think we're going to see a fair amount of volatility. So what price level we're in when people are hearing this uh, is bound to vary. But I wouldn't expect that we'll see a softening or easing of prices until this winter energy crisis uh, shakes out. And what is the energy crisis about? Well, it's really not a a U.S. market-driven issue. It's more so the winter energy supply requirements for China and Europe in particular. In China, they've had a coal shortage with flooding of upwards of 60 different coal mines. And so they're looking for oil substitutions in the energy balance for their their winter demand coverage. Europe is similar, not coal, but it's natural gas supply and trade issues that is being driven by uh, the concerns about winter demand and how to cover the energy requirement for winter uh, with a potential shortage for natural gas, which therein lies uh, a need for oil coverage. There's upwards of potentially... 400 to half million barrels a day of surprise or unexpected, unprojected demand as oil substitute for these other energy sources during this winter time frame. That's market sentiment, and that's the expectation around it that's driving prop prices up for that eventual substitution. If we don't see a, a heavy winter, or the demand doesn't manifest itself due to the winter requirements, we could see easing come pretty quickly and swiftly. In general, we would expect the balances for oil supply and demand to basically get a bit sloppy on the backside of winter, no matter how the winter shakes out, as OPEC continues to increase supply and demand growth slows. It doesn't go down, but the rate of increases that we saw in the COVID recovery going forward into next year slows its rate of growth. So supply increasing faster than demand past winter directionally softens outright crude prices. As a great man from an HBO fantasy show once said, winter is coming, as we've discussed. What <laughs> what do you see, Stephen, with gasoline prices and why they are still up, even though winter usually means less people on the roads? That's a good question. Um you know, outright crude prices drive the overall complex for refined product prices. Doesn't always work that way. But generally speaking, uh, gasoline prices have risen up as crude prices have lofted with this winter energy issue. However, gasoline demand's been surprisingly strong and robust despite the end of gasoline season. To some extent, we've seen the seasonal, uh, how should I say, trend down in gasoline support levels, but it hasn't tanked. We do expect that, you know, I think we should all anticipate with COVID relief, uh, lockdowns easing, vaccination progress, and just people 
being pent up in quarantine for so long, there's pent up demand for people to want to travel this holiday season. And we're already starting to see, you know, airports filling up, uh, traffic uh, indicators are all increasing. Matter of fact, when you look at the vehicle miles traveled, uh, the numbers are pretty decent in a post-COVID recovery mode. And we are in the off season right now before we move into true holiday travel. So I would expect uh, the holiday season will add quite a bit of support and help underpin gasoline prices uh, to some extent in the off season. Um, one aspect, uh, Jason, is that the type of vehicle miles traveled are different than they were pre-COVID. They've recovered, but the makeup of those miles looks different than pre-COVID in that there are fewer drivers driving more miles that make up that total. And so we haven't really seen the miles associated with return to work from home as opposed to people driving more for other reasons uh, during this COVID recovery period. So if we add some return to work on top of holiday travel, with this base driving that has already shown a, a remarkable recovery period, we could see a, a bit of a, a multiple layer effect of higher driving uh, through the continuation of post-COVID recovery slash holiday travel impacts. He is Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil, Argus Media. This is Driving Discussions. Stephen, the energy transition looks like it's underway. How is that having effects on the market? That's uh, an open-ended question, partner. Um, you know, the energy transition is actually many things rolled into one aspiration, and that is basically decarbonization for climate change purposes. The transition really denotes what shape that takes. Uh, the energy transition is underway in that Corporate planners and investors and financial sector are all, uh, how should I say, posturing around what tack to take through the ongoing climate change pressures and the targets that are being set uh, by the UN Climate Change Summit that's, uh, that's happening in Glasgow. Uh, there are going to be commitments made that will accelerate uh, some aspects or at least the market sentiment and aspiration around decarbonizing the market. But what is it in terms of how it's underway? Well, there are a lot of pronouncements uh, by OEMs, you know, U.S. car manufacturers and others around the world about electrifying the vehicles that will be made available for sale. In some cases, they're mandated to eliminate internal combustion engines. In other cases, it's just strong incentives and, uh, how should I say, other regulatory schemes to incentivize uh, the purchase of EVs over internal combustion engines, but it's going to be very lumpy and very, I should say, respectfully ugly uh, sequence of events by different regions. The U.S. and China being one of the other larger car markets will progress at different paces in the mobility section of uh, the type of energy use, but it's more than just cars and mobility in that sense. It's also the energy that's going into shipping for marine fuels, will we be burning methanol, ammonia, uh, and backing off on conventional bunker fuel? Will we be burning sustainable aviation fuels in larger volumes and backing out on jet fuel demand? All of which affects refining, refining margins, and 
the alternative fuels that will compete into that supply chain. And it is already changing the landscape around refining. Uh, we, we are already seeing the market impacts from that. We're seeing investments in the downstream refining area to convert to renewable feedstock processing. And that is changing part of the landscape. Matter of fact, so much so that we're short on projected feedstock availability for these processing schemes and investments that are already happening. Uh, the question becomes, will the carbon credits be sufficient and the incentives and the regulatory framework continue to incentivize these investments for a lot of these early movers to, to have the payback that, that is needed? And lastly, not to just ramble on here, but the energy transition in these alternative fuel space will be with us, I think, in a longer period of time and a deeper part of the supply chain. Because my sense is that the pace of electrification of vehicle fleets is going to take longer in certain markets than some of the climate change objectives would aspire towards. And since we're already making investments in these alternative feedstocks and processing to decarbonize or use renewables in conventional liquid fuel space, those will be sunk investments. And we are seeing those happen earlier than wholesale turnover of the vehicle fleets. And so they're likely to occupy that supply chain deeper and longer uh, during the energy transition in whatever form or shape it takes. Stephen, we'll get you out on this. Where do we see things progressing within the market of refining as well as downstream markets for the next couple of years? Well, I think into year three to five plus, a continued scramble to own part of the export market to trade refined products from one region to another region at a competitive stance of you know, the, the higher economies of scale, cheaper operating costs, and access to waterfronts to be able to supply markets that are going to grow and outpace their own refining capacity onshore, specifically many Latin American markets. Uh, so the Atlantic Basin is going to be an interesting place to see trade evolve. And one of the other aspects that weighs into this is that the renewable volume obligations and the cost of, how should I say, simplified for our listening audience who aren't in the trade, there are renewable fuel standards that have obligated volumes that refiners have to pay for that they don't keep as margin in the price of fuel they produce. And so many of these barrels or gallons of gasoline and diesel that get exported have deducts of the current price level domestically in the U.S. that basically sell the excess product offshore uh, for the difference in that renewable vol volume obligation cost. As these costs continue to move forward and grow and level, we're going to see greater disparities in price levels between the U.S. market and Latin American market and perhaps others for that matter. Uh, so the renewable volume obligations, the renewable fuel standard, and how much mandated obligations there are for refiners are costs that uh, consumers are basically carrying and the incurred cost of the fuel they acquire, but also it's creating some trading opportunities and some supply interest uh, for assuring those offtake agreements and supply trade and pricing relationships for the offshore market. He is a wealth of information. He's Stephen Jones, the Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil of Argus Media. Stephen, appreciate the time. Looking forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Jason. Good talking to you. I wish everyone well. 
Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil with Argus Media. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to tune in for the other episodes in our series, Driving Discussions. And for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, please visit argusmedia.com forward slash oil dash products.